Uh, let's start in 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 through 22 is what we're going to be looking at tonight, or not tonight, today. Uh, we're going to read the whole text through, and then uh, we'll talk about it. Uh, it's a long text. I've got it split over two slides. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, I do want to remind everybody, I am using the English Standard Version of the Bible. Uh, some of you who are using different versions will have different things in the text. There's a couple of translation variants in, in this particular section, really in all sections, but uh, some particularly interesting variants in how this phrase an appeal to God for a conscience, a good conscience. Uh, some have answer, some have different words, so be aware of that if you're using a different version. Uh, let's talk about this for a minute. This is an interesting text. This is uh, it describes the journey of Jesus, doesn't it? Uh, as we get into the, the nitty-gritty of the text, we see a journey of Jesus really from the beginning to now. Uh, let's look at that. First, we see, of course, be, he begun in heaven. He's in heaven. He's the creator of all things. We know in John chapter 1 that he's the creator of all things. He's God. He's with God. Uh, that, that complex trinity idea. And then, of course, he descended to earth where Peter says he suffered once for sins, right? That's him being on the earth. And, of course, thinking about the crucifixion, which we talked about yesterday. Uh, thus, he's put to death in the flesh again, thinking about the cross. And then he has this weird interlude, preached to the spirits in prison. We'll talk about that for uh, in a minute. Uh, I think the intervening period between his death and his resurrection, right? Then he's raised from the dead back on earth. And then, of course, Peter ends with he's gone into heaven. He's ascended back into heaven. Uh, and so we see this interesting journey that Jesus takes, the second person of the Godhead takes, uh, starting with his dissension all the way back to where he is now, right? Which is what Peter says. He is now in heaven, uh, on the right hand of the throne of God. So this, let's talk about the spirits in prison really quick. Uh, this is the weird section of the text I was referring to that we're going to take a strange detour on. There's really only two options for what it could be. What does this mean? Jesus proclaimed, uh, preached in some translations to the spirits in prison. Uh, well, we know that Peter says what? That these were the spirits in prison who did not obey in the days of Noah. Isn't that what he says here? Uh, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Well, that could be a couple of things we'll look at. Uh, of course, let's read that text in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, I think is what he's referring to here. Genesis 6, 1 through 4. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took their wives any they chose. They took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And then afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them, these were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. All right, so when Peter is talking about... The spirits in prison who did not obey in the days of Noah. Well, that could be a couple of things, really. One, it could just be generic dead people. Seems a little odd that he's specifically preaching to the dead people from Noah's day. 
as opposed to dead people from any day. Uh, so that seems a little bit odd, and, and it does sort of introduce some unusual ideas in what the rest of the Bible talks about the afterlife, or at least what happens between death and judgment. So it's a little bit weird if that's the case. Another option is, uh, as I have previously maybe taught, I don't remember if I've taught this before, uh, the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6, what is that referring to? Well, let's look at another text in Jude, I think, who illuminates this a little bit. Jude 5 through 7, remember there's only one chapter in Jude. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own positions of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire." He uses a similar language, the idea of prison, right? These angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains, right? And again, in the Genesis passage, the real question is, who are the sons of God, right? It's either these high kings is one option, that these are rulers on the earth. I personally think, and this is... It's hard to say 100% either way. This is my own inclination, but I could be wrong about this. I'm inclined to think that Genesis is describing what Jude is talking about when he says, oops, wrong one, when Jude says that these angels did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, I think that's describing what happens in Genesis 6. And that also is then what Peter is describing in 1 Peter 3, these uh, spirits in prison. And Jesus goes to them and says, oh, by the way, I won, right? Uh, uh, th this victory is mine. He's, pre he's preaching what? He's proclaiming to them what? That he suffered once in the flesh, that he was, uh, let's actually put it back on the screen. I don't have to paraphrase it. Um, he's preaching what? He suffered once in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit, which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, uh, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. So personally, I, I'm inclined to think that he is talking about these angels who left their proper dwelling, who rebelled, who were then uh, kept in uh, under chains in gloomy darkness in Jude 5 through 7. Uh, and then, of course, now, what throws a wrench in this idea, and why it's, I say it's a little bit hard to say either way, could be the, the, the dead, in 1 Peter 4, 5 through 6, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, even though... Uh, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Another weird f section of First Peter. What is Peter saying here? Maybe he is talking about Jesus literally going to the people who are dead in in the afterlife and, and preaching to them. I don't know. It's a weird section of the text. There's a couple of ways you could take it. And, and quite fundamentally, quite frankly, Scripture is not does not provide enough detail for us to make a definitive statement one way or the other. There's a couple of different options you have if you want to dive into it more. There's a couple of other options or other scriptures rather that you could read uh, to support either idea, right? Uh, but again, I'm, I'm personally inclined to think when Job says that the sons of God were presenting themselves to God, and of course the devil slips in with them, I think that's clearly referring to a spiritual thing, uh, something that's going on uh, extra or uh, hmm, 
something supernatural going on, right? Not something physical. And then, of course, Genesis uses that same term, and I think that's what Peter and Jude are describing. But could be something else. Could be that, that Jesus just literally went to. And again, here's the difficulty. I'm not sure why Jesus would specifically go and preach to only the people who died in the days of Noah. That seems a little bit odd as opposed to the dead of all eras or the dead of any Old Testament time period. Uh, why did he single out just those? I think this is a, a reason why it would point out this particular period of time. Again, filling in some gaps of what Jude says. But of course, we know that's not the actual point of the text. We took a little detour in the text, but we know, of course, that that's not the actual point of the text, right? That's not why Peter is writing this. Uh, let's read that text again so we can get the flavor of what he's actually trying to say here. But Christ also once suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Now, remember what Peter had previously said, that it is he was talking about the uh, arming ourselves in the same way of thinking, right? Uh, the Actually, I don't need to paraphrase it. I can just read it. Uh, in verses 13 through 17, which we talked about, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Have no fear of them. Always be ready to make a defense. Have a good conscience. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And then he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. He's talking about connecting our suffering with Jesus's suffering, right? We suffer as Christians on earth. Jesus also suffered once for sins, that he might bring us to God. And it, again, it calls to mind that phrase, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. How did that come about? Because Christ suffered once for sins to bring us for, to God, to put uh, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, right? In which, and then he talks about that with that weird section, but this is the actual point. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal from dirt of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven. And again, connecting what? He's gone into heaven. Uh, he is at the right hand of God. He is, everything's been subject to him. That's where you're going to go. You're going to go be with him. And isn't that, of course, what Jesus says? I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And he's going to come back and, of course, take us to uh, that place. This interesting, let's talk about immersion for a minute, uh, the word baptism here in 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter 3.21, let's put this on the, the screen here. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. There's two things that are corresponding in this text, right? Verse three, uh, Chapter 3, verse 18, this journey of Jesus that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Baptism is often compared to the crucifixion of Jesus. We looked at it just uh, yesterday when we talked about communion, the idea of crucifixion. Baptism is often compared to that. This journey from life to death and then life again. That is what's happening in when we're immersed into Christ. It is a corresponding thing. Now, the second thing that it corresponds to here, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Well, that's another cor uh, correspondence, right? Another analogy or comparison of immersion is, is the way that they were brought safely through the water. And of course, that's what's happening when we are immersed. We're literally in the water and then we come out of the water. But that's why he clarifies and says the important thing, right? Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus 
Christ. This is not just about getting dunked in the water, right? This is about the same idea, the same important ideas that are happening in the first two things that he talked about, the corresponding ideas that we're putting to, we're being put to death in the, and it's interesting, our putting to death, because we're not dying physically, unlike Jesus who literally did die physically, right? But we are putting to death that old part of ourself, we're becoming new. And it's interesting, the comparison to Noah, right? Why he talks about Noah, those, those spirits that did not obey in the former days, Noah was unique in what? His family, as far as we are, are told, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is true, his family was the only righteous family on the earth at his time. You think we have it bad. Can you imagine if there were only... Now, of course, the population's way less back then. But even if we scale it up, there were only eight Christians on the earth. Eight. No, I say Christians. Not They're not Christians. Only eight followers of God is what I should say. There were only eight followers of God on the earth. Can you imagine the isolation that might have brought to Noah and his family? And I, I often wonder, as he's spending literal decades building the ark, is he feeling isolated and alone and lonely because he's the only one and his family is the only family that has any sort of relationship with God? We think about our context, right? And, and that's what he's talking about in the context of the book. You are chosen. You are separate. You are different. You don't belong on earth. You are exiles and strangers and sojourners on the earth. That's how Noah was. That's what Noah was. He did not belong in that situation where everybody, and again, Genesis 6 is very clear, right? Where everybody was doing wicked things all the time. I don't think we're even close to that point, right? We're not even close to that. So we need to be careful about making sweeping statements about the state of the world, sweeping statements about how it's it's worse for us than it's ever been for Christians. Baloney. We have it good compared to Noah. I think about all the people that just in the congregation at Dewey, and I don't know if there's people who are watching this who are not in our congregation, but just in the congregation at Dewey, the fellowship we have, the unity that we have, the friendships that we have, and then, of course, we can think about other congregations throughout the world. We have it good compared to Noah. And so he's making this comparison. He didn't, of course, I don't think that's the point of the text necessarily, but I think it's important for us to remember as he talks about the example of Noah, immersion into Christ, which corresponds to this, this passing through the water into salvation, saves you as an appeal for, to God for a good conscience. God, I am trying to do what you want. I am submitting to your will. I am putting my faith in you. I am trusting myself to you. I am submitting to the best of my ability to the things you've told me to do. And of course, we know that it's not like a, a slot machine, right? It's not like I put baptism in the coin slot and then I have to get salvation back out. But what? I'm appealing to God. I'm begging him, God, please, I am, I'm doing the best that I can. I'm submitting to your will. And part of that, of course, is immersion, being immersed in, in the water in Christ. Please forgive me. Please grant me that salvation and redemption through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an interesting text, interesting idea. Again, if you want to talk about it more, I'm always happy to talk about it. 
you can email me or the office or, or give me a call. But again, we can get bogged down in the weird details about what does it mean that he preached to the spirits in prison when the actual point is you have been saved in a similar manner to Noah who was isolated and alone like you may feel isolated and alone but brought ultimately to redemption through his faith and through his... Sorry guys, my internet is completely dead. It's re—it's sort of rebooting and trying really hard to keep going. Um, but we are... I don't know what part of this you're seeing, what part you're not. Uh, the, my internet just had a momentary total shutdown. Um, but we did get through all my notes. So I hope that this has been beneficial to you. And uh, I'm sorry that we had sort of a weird thing at the end there. Um, but we've gone through my notes. I think the point is clear in the text, right? We see, of course, what, what Peter is talking about. Uh, we love you guys. We thank you for listening and tuning in. We'll see you guys tomorrow, same time, uh, same channel, channel, quote unquote. I guess they call it YouTube channels. Um, we miss you. We love you. Have a, a blessed day and we'll talk to you later.